Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> you brought it to life. Wow. <laughs> Stephen Don came to me and said, you know, we saw the title of your sermon and we thought we would do this song, but maybe you want to write some lyrics. <laughs> and I, you know, freedom, freedom is so important to Unitarian Universalist history that I felt called to sneak some of that history into the verses of this song. My deep thanks to you. Um, and my thanks and apologies to Chris Christofferson, um, <laughs> wherever he may be. But yeah, freedom is, you know, as Earl Morse Wilbur said, one of the founding uh, values, the core values of Unitarian history. We are a free faith. You will sometimes hear that phrase. We have beautiful passages in the readings in our gray hymnal about freedom, one by the veritable founder of Unitarianism in this country, William Ellery Channing, from the 1800s, entitled The Free Mind. I call that mind free which jealously guards its intellectual rights and powers, which does not content itself with a passive or hereditary faith which opens itself to light whensoever it may come, which receives new truth as an angel from heaven. We have a companion piece written by James Luther Adams in the 1900s entitled, I Call That Church Free. I call that church free, which enters into covenant with the ultimate source of existence, that sustaining and transforming power not made with human hands. It binds together families and generations, protecting against the idolatry of any human claim to absolute truth or authority. <clears throat> that is beautiful stuff. It is worth checking out the full text of both of these pieces in our hymnal. James Luther Adams also wrote guidelines for a free faith, which describes what he calls his five smooth stones for religious liberalism. That is a sermon all its own. And we see these ideas captured in our fourth principle as we covenant to affirm and promote a free and responsible search for truth and meaning language which also carries over into the most recent proposed revision to these principles. Freedom matters in this living tradition, and what interests me today is how freedom became such a core piece of our identity, as Anne shared from Earl Morse Wilbur in the reading. How did it become such a core piece of our identity? Partly, and I mean no disrespect here to our Unitarian ancestors, but partly I think it came about from being on the losing side of theological arguments. <laughs> losing in terms of what became Christian orthodoxy. 
This dates all the way back to the Council of Nicaea in 325 CE, where our ancestor Arius rose to argue against the idea that Jesus was God, so angering those who believed in the Trinity that legend has it he was punched in the nose by Nicholas, Bishop of Myra. Nicholas, Bishop of Myra, who came to be known as Saint Nicholas. Yeah, that's right. Our proud history includes a man who was actually assaulted by Santa Claus. (laughs) It turns out that story may not be historical. But one has to wonder even why the legend was created much later by a member of the side who won the argument. That's what you call holding a grudge, I think. And though we can maybe smile at that fleeting, if unfair, consequence of opposing Trinitarian doctrine, it was an unfortunate way to handle diversity of opinion. And the other consequences of what was quickly deemed heresy were historical facts and not nearly so humorous. As Christianity assumed its role as the religion of the state and embraced its institutional incarnation, the consequences included exile, as Arius later experienced. It included prison, It included torture. It included death. Even death. There was Michael Servetus living down in Spain, old John Calvin's works upon his desk. Servetus welcomed the Protestant Reformation as an opportunity to restore Christianity to the religion that he felt was expressed by Jesus himself. He also saw it as an opportunity to rid Christianity of the doctrine of the Trinity, as to him it was nowhere supported in his reading of the Gospels and was rather, he felt, an unfortunate attempt to view Christianity through the confusing lens of Greek philosophy. But because of his persistence in freely stating and publishing his views on theology, even under threat of imprisonment, captured by the French Inquisition and escaping, mocked and derided by other Protestant reformers who feared his radical views because Servetus would not stop speaking passionately about the religion that he loved so dearly and sought to pass along in the purest form he could imagine. He was sentenced to death in Geneva at the hands of those who in other circumstances would have been tried as heretics themselves by the Catholic Church. The Protestant reformer, John Calvin, may be seeking to show that he was as serious about doctrine as the Catholic Church had been, sought to silence Michael Servetus by the most extreme means possible. After angrily breaking off correspondence with Servetus, Calvin wrote to a friend that if Servetus ever came to Geneva, he would make sure that he did not leave the city alive. And he made good on his promise. Servetus boldly, foolishly, some might say, attended a service of Calvin's, 
and was captured, imprisoned, tried, and sentenced to death. He was burned at the stake with his book, The Restitution of Christianity Bound to His Body. By all accounts, it was a long and painful death, and at one point, Servetus cried out, O Jesus, Son of the Eternal God, have pity on me. An onlooker purportedly commented that if Servetus had been able to say, Eternal Son of God, rather than Son of the Eternal God, he might have been saved from the fire. That was the difference in theology. That close. But Michael Servetus could not do it. And then on to Transylvania, to King John Sigismund, religious strife throughout his small country. And King John called together an assembly of representatives from the various Christian denominations that were in conflict so that they could each share their theological perspectives and insights and so that the king could hear them. And he was especially taken with one Francis David, one of our most famous Unitarian ancestors. And so John became the only Unitarian monarch in history. That's why you'll hear Transylvania come up so often in Unitarian Universalist congregations. It holds a special place in our history. So he himself converted to the Unitarianism that was not even yet called that, that Francis David was preaching. But did he then proclaim that Unitarianism was the state religion? No. He did something quite different, something unheard of at that time. He issued what is known as the Edict of Torda. And according to the edict, any religious congregation in his domain shall be permitted to keep a preacher whose teaching they approve and that no government official shall annoy or abuse preachers on account of their religion or allow any to be imprisoned or punished by removal from his post on account of his teaching. For faith, he said, it is a gift of God. That is the first example in modern times of an explicit governmental policy of religious toleration. And while one would like to think that everyone embraced this king's enlightened initiatives, apparently that was not the case, as he was the target of nine assassination attempts during his relatively short reign, and things quickly moved back into the conflicts of before after his death. But why all these stories of long ago history? Why all these details about theological debates that for the most part no longer concern us as Unitarian Universalists? Only to say that I am the sometimes ungrateful heir of a tradition that held, as you heard from Unitarian Earl Morse Wilbur, that held the values of freedom, reason, and tolerance at its heart. Only to say that too often I take these values for granted 
and dismiss them as insufficient. And it is true, I don't believe they are enough to encapsulate all of who we are, but they are still vital to who we can be. Freedom, reason, tolerance, they are tools to do what we need to do. They create the environment from which we can carry out our mission. They set the stage for now. And increasingly, I realize that these freedoms that I take for granted, freedom of conscience, of assembly, of religion, they are not guarantees. And I ask myself, how have I used my freedom? How am I carrying this living tradition? How will I support this free faith so that it will be passed along to the next generation and the next? not with the particular details of my understanding of it, but as a gift that future generations, those children that were up here, they will shape and transform protecting, as James Luther Adams wrote, protecting against the idolatry of any human claim to absolute truth or authority. Because freedom's just another word for... This hard-won freedom over many centuries, the freedom that we enjoy is just another word for however we choose to use our freedom. Nurturing integrity, generosity, liberation. Toni Morrison said, just remember that your real job is that if you are free, you need to free somebody else. If you have some power, then your job is to empower somebody else. This is not just a grab bag candy game, she said. I love that. That, I think, is why you find love at the center. It is the answer to what we will do with our freedom, where we will direct the powers of reason, why we not only tolerate but increasingly celebrate diversity. William Ellery Channing, in that reading I mentioned earlier, said, I call that mind free, which sets no bounds to its love, which wherever they are seen delights in virtue and sympathizes with suffering. It is not the freedom of the mind alone that is of value, but how that free mind can open me to love. How am I using my freedom? I think of the visioning process that we are engaging this year. I think of conversations I've had with many of you, with children and youth. I think of the state of this country and the world, and it feels like Toni Morrison is speaking directly to me, to us, to this time. You've got to keep asserting the complexity and the originality of life and the multiplicity of it and the facets of it. This is about being a complex human being in the world, not about finding a villain. Love can build a bridge. 
This is no time for anything else than the best that we've got. Freedom's just another word for generosity, worthless if it's only there for me. Freedom's only real, Lord, when everyone is free. Free to explore what connects us deeply. Living out a faith that is truly free. Right here. Right now. Don't you think it's time? I think it's time for the best that we've got.